Yes, I knew Sister White. We will not fear. The kingdom is alive. The kingdom's on the move with the poor and the meek and the hungry and the lonely. I'll never forget it. Well, it's an honor to be joined today by a legend and Adventist education. Welcome, Dick Osborne. I'm glad to be here. Um, I have a particularly um, joyful feeling in talking with you because you're the president who hired me for my first job in higher education. I remember when that happened, and you were a great addition to our college. Thanks. Well, what I'd like to do with you today is talk about the state of higher ed and um, specifically Adventist higher ed. So if you wouldn't mind just talking a little bit about your day-to-day work. Well, I uh, spent 39 and a half years working for the Seventh-day Adventist Church uh, in K-12 as well as higher ed, uh, serving at every level, seventh and eighth grade teacher, elementary and high school academy principal, uh, college president, a superintendent. I was the director, uh, vice president for education for the North American division. Uh, and then the last 10 years, I've been uh, a vice president at the WASC uh, Senior College and University Commission. And we are the accreditors for most of the senior universities in California and Hawaii and 12 international institutions. So we do accreditation of all the University of California campuses, Stanford, USC, and a bunch of places that no one has ever heard of, as well as the three Adventist uh, institutions in our region. Obviously, for conflict of interest reasons, I've not involved, I'm not involved in their accreditation. But I've had a a vast experience now in working with a huge variety of institutions. Uh, And then I was president of Pacific Union College for uh, eight years. And that's where we worked together up until about 10 years ago. Yeah, good memories. Um, Would you mind just giving us a sense of the state of higher ed, at least how you observe it? I'm a little cautious to be too authoritative on that because I've been out of the system for 10 years, and so a lot's happened in the last 10 years. However, I am serving on a task force now, chaired by Gordon Beats, uh, that the North American Division has put together on trying to get uh, perhaps greater uh, collaboration or perhaps a system of Adventist higher ed that's been talked about for quite a few years. Uh, Back in the 70s, 1970s, the church did put together what was called the Board of Higher Education, and it was going to be an attempt to really have a system with this board being able to say that uh, institutions could have certain uh, offerings or they couldn't offer certain things to try to have a more systematic organizational approach. And that really failed. Um, The universities and colleges continued to do what they wanted to do. I came into the North American division, uh, and uh, one of the first things I did, and I I was in a combined role of K-12 and higher ed, was to suggest that rather than focusing on something that really didn't seem realistic, which was putting all of this together and having kind of a highly mandated approach, that we instead focus on collaboration, 
And that led to the formation of the Association of Adventist Colleges and Universities. And I was honored to serve as its first president. Um, this is a volunteer position, and it was a cooperative thing between the institutions. And we began to do joint marketing, and we paid actually a person to come and oversee marketing efforts to try to organize the whole system. And that's been going now for well over a decade. But the current challenges perhaps have been exacerbated by uh, some of the broader trends in higher ed, especially for small faith-based residential colleges. So when we see problems in the Adventist church, it's across the country in faith-based institutions. And uh, one of the main things are enrollment declines. Mm-hmm. And in front of me, I have a report uh, that Mike Schofield, uh, a former college classmate of mine at La Sierra uh, College at the time, systems analyst, does a lot of very interesting thought papers and presentations. And his analysis uh, reveals that in uh, six years, the last six years, the overall enrollment in Adventist colleges has declined almost 12 percent. Wow. Um, The decline uh, is probably the worst at Pacific Union College, where we both served. Uh, In four years, they've had a 37 percent decline in enrollment. So a lot of that 12 percent is probably due to PUC's decline in enrollments. So it's kind of a mixed picture. Some are steady. Um, I don't think any of them are anywhere near their peak enrollment, but some uh, go down and then they kind of hang in there and they're, they're sort of steady for a while. But these enrollment challenges, obviously, that's the base of the financial model for the Adventist colleges. Um, and uh, the church continues to give very strong support. One thing that I realized when I left the denominational work and compared other faith-based institutions is that the Adventist church is probably the most generous church in giving subsidies to enable these institutions to continue. But perhaps we could talk later about why that could be a problem. Um, yeah. Let me just jump in there. And would you mind just kind of explaining how the model of Adventist education works, maybe at like that 30,000 foot level? Yeah. So um, maybe we'll go back to the beginnings. Uh, Adventists have always believed in education. And the idea was that the first thing you did when you went into a community was to establish a school. And maybe the school auditorium would be the church. And then there would always be a boarding high school in almost every conference that those students could then go to. There might be some junior academies that offered uh, 10 grades. And that was sort of the model. And then those students were encouraged to go to the regional college in their union territory. And so these union colleges were established all across the country at a time when transportation wasn't very easy, where you might get there in a horse-drawn buggy, and then later on by car, by train. And of course, now everything's changed with flying. So that was the model. It's an old model. If we were to develop a model today, that's not what we would do we would probably do something like what the Mormons did. They created one great university with two or three branch campuses, like one in Hawaii, and I believe they have another one in their general region. Instead, we have 14. Now, some of these are specialized. Uh, Let's take uh, Loma Linda, which focuses on medical areas. Let's Mm -hmm. take two hospitals 
Florida Hospital, and Kettering that have created medically-centered institutions. And then we have um, uh, what's called an HBCU, Oakwood University in Nashville, which is uh, largely for African-Americans. But the rest of them are largely centered in a union territory. Uh, and the idea is that the boarding schools and other schools will send their students to this regional institution. Um, does that model work anymore? And is it needed anymore? It's a good question to well, ask. Yeah. So you talked about this commission that you were involved with. What were some of the findings that you um, came up with as you looked at the tensions within this old model and, and our new world? Well, this began, of course, it's been studied a lot over the last few years. And when I was at the North American Division, we talked a lot about doing more collaboration. But it, ended, it was a, a summit that was held in Chicago a year ago where there were probably 150, 160 higher ed leaders that came for this summit following a huge K-12 teachers convention. They had some of the very best speakers and thought leaders, not just in the Adventist church who could come. So I think that those trends that we've talked about, the, the viability of this many institutions for such a small church, um, enrollment trends, uh, some of the broader faith-based issues. Students are just not denominationally oriented today. You don't go to um, a, a regionally-based college because you're a member of a particular union. Like, you may not go to Union College because you're a member of the Mid-America. They may have more loyalties there than other places. You're going to go where you think you're going to get the best education. And there sure. may be some family loyalties as well. The parents may have graduated somewhere. So I think they've talked, we've talked about those kinds of issues, the enrollment trends, uh, curriculum offerings. The next step now is this task force that's moving forward to do what's called crowdsourcing. That's going to take some basic ideas and try to develop some broader consensus points uh, through um, you know, uh, crowdsourcing, um, mm -hmm. some ventures that some, some models, some methods that have been used by some of the top corporations in the world. And, uh, one, uh, uh, former Adventist who's one of the world renowned authorities in this area is also giving us uh, some guidance. When you look at, uh, what's been going on in Adventist healthcare, there's been a mix of consolidation as well as partnerships outside the denomination. Do you see any um, trends in Adventist ed leading us toward either of those? Why don't I uh, give you five scenarios, uh, and, and these were developed in 2009 to illustrate the range and then uh, answer your question. So the first is doing what we're doing right now, uh, total institutional autonomy, um, not much collaboration, some and some initiatives. The second level is uh, an outsourcing of economies of scale, but still with institutional autonomy. Uh, the third is a, a, an actual staff that would coordinate this, perhaps a three-person office that would coordinate all of this and try to bring a more systems approach to how we deal with Adventist education. The fourth is a new structure. Fewer universities, multiple campuses, eliminate competitive waste, a lot of collaborative uh, initiatives. Um, level five is the most dramatic, and that would be creating uh, the Adventist University of North America with multiple campuses. And uh, there would be limited competition between those, and it would basically be 
a very highly developed system. So I think that what the hospitals have done is uh, not a complete centralization, but within regions they've centralized and brought hospitals within areas. Florida is probably one of the great examples. Adventist Health, um, that's located in Roseville, has this system of hospitals. And, and they're able to bring economies of scale and branding and marketing and, uh, you know, a systematic approach to that as compared to these little hospitals <clears throat> in the Central Valley that would try to maybe function by themselves. Impossible to do the kinds of things they've done, especially their community health centers that have met the needs of so many people. For one hospital to do that, impossible. So do I see that happening in Adventist higher education? I am um, neutral on that. Um, I've seen too many attempts fail. There are too mm. many local loyalties, and which I alluded to earlier, this Adventist subsidy from the church enables institutions that are mediocre to continue <laughs> existing year after year because they're going to get a bailout, a subsidy from the church organization. It doesn't force them until it's too late, as happened with Atlantic Union College, for them to actually close. So rather than being proactive, it tends to be a reactive approach. There's some uh, in the union colleges, I wanna make sure I say union colleges, I'm not talking about union college. Mm -hmm. um, it, there's this tendency of a church leader feeling that if an institution closes on their watch, they have been a failure. I have another theory about this. I think, and I've argued this uh, at WASC, and I've argued it, in fact, at our major convention with a significant panel. I said, Why, what if we just viewed uh, institutions having a life cycle? Uh, a university has a life cycle, and when its life cycle is up, celebrate and close. The idea we have is that we have to always have these institutions in perpetuity. And if you close an institution like AUC, you don't celebrate the great history and all the graduates they had that you just talk about the failure. And so um, there's this sort of built-in loyalty, and then you have board members that aren't willing to look beyond their little uh, institution to the broader needs, and are we really offering a quality education? The church subsidy, in some ways, for some institution, props up mediocrity. And we can say to students, it's better to be in an Adventist college, the worst Adventist college, than to be in a great university because that's what's more important, that you be here. I have questions about that as a basic premise. And so I think in some ways that inhibits the ability of institutions to be open and creative in looking at different approaches. That's really fascinating, identifying the subsidy. It's um, so important to the institution, um, but in fact, sounds like you're saying it's ultimately weakening our institutions. I think it helps a lot of them. And I think it helps them be stronger. Uh, the general okay. conference subsidy to Loma Linda and to Andrews and the North American division subsidy to Oakwood enables good institutions to be even better and to function more strongly. But I think in some of the smaller ones that are really struggling, what I've just said would apply. Sounds like maybe there's a pruning approach where you focus on some fruits to let others uh, grow even stronger. We haven't been able to do that because you see that subsidy comes from that local union, except for the general conference institutions of Andrews 
and Loma Linda and uh, Oakwood from it's a North American division. And then the two hospital, uh, which are two of the most successful universities we have. They're run by hospitals. Um, so when we talk in generalities, we have to kind of put these five aside and yeah. talk about the others that are truly union-based institutions, including the one we have in Canada. I know in your work at WASC, you've had an opportunity to really um, see a kind of larger landscape than the average Adventist focused on their local university or college. Um, are there some institutions that you visited that you feel Adventists should know about or you see a program working that would really help Adventists rethink the way that they approach education? Well, I'll give two examples. At that higher education summit last summer, Gordon Beats asked if there was anything I'd like to present. I said, I'd like to bring two guests with me. And so I brought the, um, the head of the Chicago education system, which is a, uh, a fairly large um, corporation in Chicago that actually has three or four accredited institutions in our territory that basically economizes by having the basic services, HR, human resources, um, marketing, uh, IT, all of that handled from Chicago. And they can hire the very best people they can possibly hire and pay them good wages as compared to each of these little institutions doing that on their own as a possible model for the Adventist church. They have a central board, but each of these has their own boards as well. I also brought with me the, the president of uh, Los Angeles Pacific University, an online university that grew out of Azusa Pacific University. And this was Azusa's attempt to create alternate streams of revenue, different kinds of students, more of an adult student population. And um, they have been very successful with this particular model. I thought these would be examples of things you could do, a systems approach while still maintaining some independence by the local institution as seen through the Chicago uh, education system. The one that I have uh, been very intrigued with uh, is Dominican University of California. They've been in my port portfolio for the last 10 years. I've gotten to know the president, Mary Marcy, uh, very well, and uh, she's chaired visits for me, and I've been there uh, quite a bit. And she has gained some national renown for her five models that she proposes for small schools like 1,500 to 2,000 students and what the future looks like because they've had enrollment challenges. And in many ways, they're like Pacific Union College. The nursing program, basically, they didn't have that, they'd be dead. A um, lot of students in nursing. They're in Marin County, one of the most expensive areas of the United States, as is Pacific Union College with the Napa Valley. And so she's developed sort of a, a five-model code. So she calls one of them the traditional model, which we're all familiar with, undergraduate, residential, very liberal arts basis. Then she has what she calls the new American model, where you keep your liberal arts core, general education, and you grow your professional and programs and graduate programs. Then she has the expansion model that she are, talks about. So you have a very limited liberal arts commitment, but you focus on additional professional and graduate programs in enrollment growth. Then she has what's called the expansion and separation model, where you have a lot of branch campuses and online programs to capture those additional students and a modest or non-existent liberal arts program. 
Then the program that they've worked on at Dominican, as she calls the distinctive program model. And this is how um, the model works there. Uh, it's called the Dominican Experience, and the signature programs are that every student will get integrative coaching. Uh, it's a, really a stepped-up version of traditional academic uh, coaching and advising, which brings in mentors. Secondly, every student will have an experience of community engagement at a class project, and individual undertaking or volunteering. Third, every student will complete a signature project, a research uh, venture, or a work of art, or even choreography. And fourth, there will be digital portfolios that will help them reflect on what they've learned and serve as archives of their educational experiences. So Mary actually had a, um, a three-month sabbatical to Harvard, uh, which I mentioned, and uh, she's writing a book on this. She got uh, a major fellowship to complete this book. So what it has said to me, Alex, is that we're not alone in these challenges. Um, they're shared across the country. It looks like enrollment across the country is down this year. It looks like uh, the percentage of students accepting offers is down. Some of the issues I think that are driving this are student debt, and the question about is it worth it to go into all this debt for what we get out of it? The undergraduate debt is, I think, handleable. It averages in the U.S. thirty-two thousand a year per student. In California, by the way, it's twenty-two thousand. It was interesting. Um, AUC's last year, I saw an article that said they had the highest student debt in the entire nation. That was the last year that they operated. I was doing some research just trying to find what was the average student debt. And I did a Google search. And here was an article that said the colleges with the worst student debt. And once that's interesting. I pulled it up and I was shocked to see that Pacific Union College was fifth in the nation on the list for most student debt. So I think that students uh, are wondering how they can pay that back, especially if they go to graduate school. Add another 80, 100, 200,000 if they go to medical school on top of a 30. 40,000, 50,000 debt, and the um, impact of that on lifestyles and marriage and having kids and owning a home and the choices you make for careers, all of that, I think, is, is coming to play. And then something I mentioned earlier, the prior focus on loyalty denomination, this generation, most of them do not have loyalty to denomination. They're going to look for the place where they can get the best education, affordable that will enable them to find good careers when they finish. So the problem we're looking at is not just Adventist. It's a nationwide issue that's being talked about a lot. And my friend Mary Marcy at Dominican has probably been one of the most uh, important thought leaders with even a cover story about her work in the Chronicle of Higher Education. Great. Yeah, please send over a link um, from about some of her work and I'll post it to the article when we put it on the web about this podcast. I'll do that. Thank you so much. You've been speaking some um, hard truths, but I think it's um, uh, important for Adventists who care about our institutions to, to really confront the reality. Um, you don't hear many Adventist leaders talking about debt and, you know, as an educator, it, is 
sobering at times. I've talked with some of my colleagues about this, you know, to realize that somebody's going to come out of an institution owing $50,000 when they're 22 years old and have no job. And But of course, I tell the ones that at, at undergrad, you're basically looking at a car loan. And mm-hmm. you'll turn around and, and take a car loan out for $32,000 and you'll make monthly payments on that. Sure. Is uh, getting um, you know a higher education experience more valuable? You know, I think a lot about the students that don't succeed in finishing, but they still yeah. have student debt, and you can't declare bankruptcy on student debt. And yeah. you know, every time they make a payment, they're saying to themselves, "I failed." I think about the psychological impact on that. Yeah. So let's end on a happy note here. Um, you've talked about some of the um, issues that we have to confront. Is there something that you feel like Adventist education um, offers the denomination and the larger culture? I think maybe we're two uh, evidences of that, Alex. Uh, Hmm. We are both the product of Adventist education. We both graduated from Adventist institutions. We did our graduate work elsewhere, but we we are evidence of that. So what I like to emphasize, and I've just been talking about this some over the last uh, few months, is that the question is, if an individual, a student, graduates from an Adventist high school, academy, or college, or university, and does not remain an Adventist, does that mean the institution was a failure? And I think that one of the premises, yes, you know, we are here just to produce Adventists. I want to argue that the values you and I learned in our Adventist educational experience are more important. And if we live those values in our daily lives, then the institution has been worth it. It's been a success. We're we're, we're using one of the, as I said, one of the foremost world thinkers, and he's giving his time. He gets gets pays thousands and thousands of dollars to give speeches, and his uh, organization does. But he still loves Adventist education and the values that he learned at Andrews have lived with him his whole life. And I've seen that uh, in so many cases. So what I want to do is celebrate the values that you and I learned and many others learned as being transcendent to these issues. And I think the current Adventist students are getting those values also. And that's worth saving and fighting for. Well, thank you. It's been a pleasure talking with you today. My honor. Take care. Bye-bye. Yes, I knew Sister White. We will not fear. The kingdom is alive. The kingdom's on the move.